Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. I invite you guys to sit down. Join us. Those who are in the room, back of the room, come on in. Find a spot to sit. We're in a wrestle this morning. We're in a wrestle this morning. We're in a wrestle this morning. Did anyone wake up in the, uh, for the day today and just have this thought of like, I don't want to see anyone today. <laughs> We're in a wrestle today. <laughs> Do you want to wake up and say like, I don't want to wake up today. We're in a wrestle. This morning, we are um, actually going to be concluding both this week and next week a series that we have been in for a little over two months now uh, over the book of Ephesians. And I don't know if you have read that story, if you've read that book, uh, it is written by the Apostle Paul, it's in the Bible, it's a good one. But if you have never opened it up, you can still sit with us today. We are in chapter 6, uh, honestly verse 9 is where we're, we're diving into, so you can go ahead and get that ready, but I will, I will let you know, um, I was planning to speak the whole last chapter, all right, the whole thing, from 9 to the end, and it felt really heavy on my heart that the Lord actually wanted us to spend a little bit more time in it. So I talked to the staff on Monday, and I was like, guys, what do you think, like, you know me, when I have a lot to say about something, then it goes like a long time. And I don't want that to happen. Um, so what are your thoughts on us splitting it in half? And they're like, go for it. And I'm actually really glad that I did. So this morning, just so you know, we're diving into the first three uh, sections of the armor of God uh, in spiritual warfare. And then next week, we're diving into the last three. All right. So first three and the last three and to frame it in a fun way for you. All right. To frame it in a fun way. This morning, we are um, going to be attacking. All right. We're going to be talking about some uh, schemes of the devil, more specifically three schemes, and we're attaching them to the armors. All right, are you ready? So these schemes, just so you know, first place, we're going to dive in and attack lies. We're going to attack shame, and we are going to attack bitterness. All right, lies, shame, and bitterness, which none of us deal with, right? None of us deal with. We don't believe lies. We don't have shame. I used to make this comment that shame is that awkward thing. It's like, um, it's like when you are going through puberty in your fifth grade and no one wants to talk about it, but everyone is dealing with it. That's what shame is. Shame is like that awkward, no one wants to admit that they have it or struggle with it, but everyone in class has it. Everyone in class is smelling a little bad. Everyone's growing, growing some hairs in awkward places. It's there. So I'm going to dive into this text, uh, starting at verse 10, and we're going to see what God does. Um, so it reads this, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Paul says, finally, as if he's been waiting a long time to get here. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I love this. That word strong says to cause to be able or to be given strength or to become able to do something. In other words, if you look at that, there is a way that you can be strong in yourself and in the strength of your might. That's not what Paul's talking about. In fact, too often we are strong in ourselves and in the strength of our might. But then he continues that strength that is the word kratos, and that's some fun little word for you. It means the power, the miracles, the mighty deeds of his might. That word might means his ability, his potential. And so just off the, the front, that first verse comes a question like, what power and whose capability am I pulling from? Am I learning from? What power and whose capability am I pulling from? Am I learning from? Paul says, I need you to put on, be strong in the Lord. Verse 11, though. It says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Stand against the schemes. If you're writing notes, write down the word schemes, circle it. We have this ability in him. 
That word schemes is like the craftiness. That's the strategies of, and how dare we not believe that the enemy has a plan for our life. He has a plan just like God does, but his plan's a little, you know, a little less joyous. The enemy has a plan for our life, and so there's a strategy attached to it. But God is saying, I need you to put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand it. And then he makes a statement in verse 12. I want you to look at verse 12, because too many of us have become so familiar with verse 12 that I don't think we actually feel the weight and the power of it. This is like dramatic when when Paul is first writing this. This is dramatic. This is powerful. But I think we become so familiar with this that we don't really see the beauty of it. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in this heavenly places. And you're like, that's a whole lot of mouthful. It is. But he's really saying your fight, your daily struggle is not with flesh and blood. That word flesh is like nature. It's not with the physical and it's not with blood. It's not with mankind. We don't fight people. We don't even fight the weather. We don't fight cancer. We don't fight nature. That's not it. Our fight, he uses a lot of words to describe the spiritual world. He says it's with the Rulers, in other words, the spiritual sphere of influence that is governing everything that you can't see. Our fight is against the jurisdiction of darkness, the authority, the thing that seizes control of of our fears, the thing that seizes control of our thoughts sometimes when we are, are anxious, the authorities. He says the world rulers, that supernatural powers that claim darkness, and he says that cosmic powers. That's a fun word. And then he says the spiritual forces. That word is the word pneumatic, which if you know anything about me, pneuma, that's where God says be filled with the spirit. The word pneuma is breath. The word pneuma is really cool because it is is a powerful word, but when you look at it in the demonic way, it's also really eye-opening. The word pneuma can also mean way of thinking. It can mean attitude. So sometimes... Sometimes we can have a bad attitude, and that is a bad pneuma. That is a bad spirit. And some of you are like, what? Well, Jesus, through John, says, test the spirits and make sure that they are, test the spirit that you're experiencing right now and make sure that it's in line with Jesus. Because if it's not in line with Jesus, then it is in line with the Antichrist. Some of you are like, what? Listen, I was a Baptist boy. We didn't talk about demons. We didn't talk about that kind of stuff. I grew up, but listen, if there's an attitude that isn't in line with Jesus, speaking and and fulfilling and producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, if there's an attitude that isn't, then it's a different pneuma. It's a different spirit. And that spirit doesn't submit to Jesus. And so he's saying there is a spiritual war. And some of us, we don't want to admit it. We don't want to admit it. There is a fight uh, against the demonic spirits, attitudes, ways of thinking in this heavenly place. I remember when Kate and I signed up to be church planters, which is just a whole whirlwind in and of itself. We kept saying no to, to Jesus about it for a long time. And finally, we we're like, okay, we'll figure this out. Well, with it comes a lot of fun education. And I remember one seminar that I had to be a part of. And the first thing said, if you are going to be a church planter, you must realize that from the inside out, from the home life to the office life, from like the inside marriage bed to the outside, like feeding the homeless, you must win the war in the spiritual. That's what he said. You must win the war in the spiritual. You have to. And I'm like, okay. And he just kept going. I didn't realize how huge this was. That we must win the war in the spiritual. And honestly, winning the war in the spiritual means that I might lose some things in the physical. Uh, In fact, like, I had to realize that that would mean that a whole church planting organization wouldn't like the way we launched because we spent way less money than they told us we should. 
I had to realize that like physically we would look like we weren't a very large church, but spiritually we would be winning. I had to realize that physically that might mean we don't have all the bells and whistles. In fact, like I remember a month away from launch, we still had no idea where we were going to be at. But spiritually, our, our church was like, we will go wherever. We will do, because we got to win the war in the spiritual. And I sometimes have come to realize like that's like slower physical growth, right? In fact, I've learned something over the years. It's when we think we are winning the war in the physical that we have lost sight of or maybe even have begun to lose ground in the spiritual. The guy who's climbing the corporate ladder, who's like, I am ex- I'm excelling in this. I'm finally stepping into my calling. And then his wife is like, I feel unseen. It's the moment when we think that we are climbing this ladder in the physical and all the things are good. I mean, we're finally comfortable. We finally got that job or we finally made that paycheck or we're, we're finally tackling the debt. And we're actually losing ground in the spiritual. And you're like, well, how? How is that the case? Because too often I've noticed what happens the first time a setback occurs. You and I are like the exact same. We all do this. Life feels like I am taking one step forward and like three steps back. Anyone else ever thought that? I finally got good and things finally got clear and like we finally had a control over this and now... It's all terrible again. We're defining it that way because we think success is in the physical then. And because the physical is a setback, it's showing us that actually we were not spiritually where we thought we were the whole time. You see, it's a very clear one month of sobriety and we think we're arrived, right? <laughs> one month, one month of, of saying no to pornography and we think we're victorious and we're all good. And the Lord's like, no, you, the physical growth is only a portion. I need you to take spiritual ground as you keep growing. We often think the moment's like, I'm winning it, I'm winning it, but then we lose sight in the authority. Life is always like this, we think, just a forward step and a backward step. I just can't ever seem to get above water. I've heard the phrase. There was a guy who was working in my house, and uh, he grew up in the church. His relationship with the church is distant, but he follows God. Because that's, that, that's a really good like, thing that can happen, right? Our relationship with God can be really good, but a relationship with his bride is poor. I don't think that works. But watching him, he was like, I keep, I keep growing, and I keep getting these things, and his, his truck got stolen two weeks ago. And he's like, all my tools were in it, and I just feel like every time I go forward, I take seven steps back, and I'm just hearing what I'm hearing is actually just lies in his heart, believed that like life is just this back and forth movement. Whereas James says, stop being tossed in the wind. You can have a hope that is firm. Stop being tossed in the wind. Do you know the man that's tossed in the wind? The double-minded man. The double-minded, that doesn't mean because he's gaining all these things. No, it means because he's not gaining the one thing that he's already been given. Freedom. He's not accepting the one thing that he already has been given, the Spirit of God. He's not living with the power that he's already been handed. And so this, this dub duplicity, we can say, is all around. That somehow, as believers, we can be like physically in need, but have everything we possibly need. That I can find wood rot in my home this past week, yet somehow joyously like uh, work with God through it. I'm like, Jesus, you, you, you knew how to deal, deal with wood, like I need your help. That's the same thing I did like uh, when I was cutting people's hair and stressing out. I'm like, Jesus, you know how to cut hair. You do it. I need you to fuel my hands right now and make my decisions good. Like, I need you. Like, Jesus, you are the master craftsman, and this girl needs your craftsmanship right now. Because we can do hard things, but somehow be even killed. Somehow be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's because there's a spiritual ground to gain, and it means not anything to do with the physical. That I can make steps forward, experience setbacks, yet still claim ground in the peace. 
right? Like I can take, I can do this. And some of you are like, how are you doing this? Because I don't feel like this is the spiritual war. This is. And I'm like, we are growing. I am learning how to be vulnerable through the setbacks. I'm learning how to trust people. I'm learning how to lean in on my, my community. And every time I do that, the enemy's voice is silenced because this is nothing. This movement is everything. The spiritual In fact, I just want you to take this note, like spiritual oppression sets in much quicker than I think. The schemes of the enemy are real. Spiritual oppression is this taboo topic that they don't teach us in in church often. In fact, often we think the oppressed people are the people that have a lot of problems. The oppressed people are those who are fill in the blank with your description of something you've never been right? That's, that's often what it is. The oppressed people are the people who really have problems in their life. No, I'm a pastor who deals with oppressed people all the time, and sometimes that's the person in the mirror. Oppressed people are God's people. They are. There's a reason you are feeling oppressed. It's because there's an active enemy. If you're not feeling oppressed, you know what I call that? I call that you're not realizing that you're in a spiritual war, right? Like I call that unaware because oppression is real. Now, there's a difference between oppression and possession. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about oppression where the Lord says, I have died that you may have fullness of life. And the very fact that I don't live daily thinking that I have fullness of life is a showcase that I am giving in to either the lies of the enemy the shame of my flesh, like the flesh, or bitterness. Like it really is. The very reason that I'm not stepping into my calling every day shows that I am being oppressed by some lie or feeling the weight of some shame. And, and that always must be overcome by the work of the, uh, of the Savior, right? Like it must always be overcome by his blood. And so it's just, we have made taboo this topic But you can see oppression. I mean, it comes in many shapes and sizes. Uh, You can see oppression in mannerisms. Some of you, I have seen it seize a beautiful girl and she fell on the ground. I've seen oppression weigh heavily on the eyes of people. And some of you are like, well, that's just sleepless nights. Well, there's a reason they have sleepless nights. I've seen oppression come out in reoccurring nightmares. I've seen oppression come out in, 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 in twitches twitches when it gets uncomfortable and the body doesn't know what to say and mind would just say, you know, psychology. I know psychology. Psychology would just say that's because they're feeling a certain way. Exactly. The way that they're feeling is not of God. The insecurity is oppression. That, that, that doubt that set in is oppression. I've seen oppression come in when people feel like there is uh, the feeling that you are to blame for everything. I remember one time, and, and this man is a man of God, and I love him. I remember one time when, when Jeremy my, got really open with me, and he said, I feel this unwarranted guilt about everything. You remember that? And you're like, I know it's not real. I'm feeling like guilty for everything. I remember a time I feel like I am to blame in everyone's problems, oppression. I feel like all the circumstances, some of you, the feeling that there's not enough time, oppression. Let that sit on you. Some of you feel like life, there's no excess. That everything in life is out of balance. That's oppression. The random feeling of being not enough. The weighed down feeling of being stretched too thin. You know it's a spiritual oppression when everything that you think will help you get out of it is physical stuff. And I need you to understand this. Like I need you to hear this, people. We're going to get into some spiritual armor. The spiritual armor are the ways that we stand in freedom. But you know it's oppression when you think you either need something physically to fix it or you need to take something physically away in order to fix it. Both of which prove that what you're feeling is spiritual oppression. I just need to work less. 
I don't know if that's going to help you because you will find something else to give your heart and attention to. Uh, I, I, just, I, just need, I just need a girlfriend. I'm just lonely. Okay, well, that's not going to work out. You know, we always, I, I just need this. If we just had more money, then I wouldn't be stressed about finances anymore. No, some of the most stressed people in the world are the rich about their finances. And so we, we really think if I just got this physical thing, then I would be good. That's a proof of a spiritual oppression. Then it begs us to say, okay, what is it? Where is it? How is it? Where did it come from? How does it get overcome? By what strength? Because right now I'm thinking it's my strength. Some of you, you really believe if I take something away, if I get something more. Really think about it. What is my heart thinking is the answer? But then Paul gives us the first three pieces of armor. Are you ready? Because spiritual oppression, the lies, the shame, the bitterness, we have a very powerful weapon. And so he says this in verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done nothing or having done all to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Does anyone remember like the fun like little song with it? I'm not singing it for you. I'm not doing it. Sorry. That'll be in the outtakes. Maybe I'll give it. Woo-boo. Wow. Now you're alert. Wow. Like five seconds ago, I was like, are people with me? And there you are. I'm just, maybe if you, uh, if you pay attention really well, I'll give it to you at the end. All right. There we go. Oh, oh, oh. These three. I, what I'm really excited though, is I'm going to framework these three in a really neat way. In fact, uh, I, you know, those things when the Lord teaches you something and you just, uh, like Mary, you ponder it in your heart for a little bit. This is one of those things he taught me two years ago when I was first dealing with uh, a guy who quite literally in my office uh, began manifesting the demonic. And I'm not like, I'm not joking. I never experienced something to this degree. And uh, I, it, was, it was very apparent to the point when you're like, those of you who are, who are um, skeptical, to the point where I could talk to him, a normal conversation, the moment I quote scripture, his eyes glaze over. And like just this conversation or the moment I quote scripture, he starts going a little, and he doesn't even know I'm quoting, the brother doesn't know scripture. I'm saying truth and he's responding to it. And I remember like, this is uneasy. So I dove in head first, like what, God, we got to get into this, like help me. And I found this really cool distinction between the first three parts of the armor and the last three. Are you ready to be with me in this? There is a difference in the first three and next week's last three. And I'm really excited because the first three in English, thankfully, actually put the armor in past tense. Look at this. The ar- it says, having put on, having fastened the belt of truth, fastened past tense, having put on past tense, and choose for your feet, having put on. Now, there's a reason it's, it's past tense, all right? It's because the Greek tense of these words, uh, Greek is really fun. They have many tenses all in one, and the Greek tense of this signifies, and I have this as a little slide for you, signifies that the action being referred to has already been completed in the past by another, sometime before the statement was made. And I know you're like, well, what does that mean? Well, it's because if you like were really good students and you like to go ahead on the text, it's about to say putting on, if you're a New King James Version, putting on or, or taking up the sword and shield. Those are present tense actions. It's about to say now put on or take up the shield if you're an NIV or ESV. Those are present tense actions of the verb. But now it's having already put on, having already been fastened with. This is huge because what Paul is saying, if you, I need you to hear me with this, okay? You're like, what is this? Why is this huge? 
This is important because Paul is saying, now that you already are girded with the belt of truth, now that you already are wearing his righteousness, now that you already have been made ready by the, the, the feet of peace, this means that these first three pieces of armor are not something you're called to put on, but they're something you already have. Now, there's a reason with this, because there is an action you're commanded to do, and like Greek fashion, they don't really care about sentence structure, so they put it at the beginning. It says, stand, therefore, having already fastened around your waist the belt of truth, having already put on the breastplate of righteousness, having already readied your feet. And so the action in this is to stand with the armor you've already been given by another. In in other words, what I mean in this is I don't put on righteousness. It was granted to me on the cross. I don't gird myself. I don't put on truth. Jesus is the one who to the Father said, sanctify them in my truth. So it's already be done. I've already been, I don't put on righteousness. I've already been covered it. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become righteous. So I don't put on righteousness. I stand in the righteousness that I've already been covered in. Another thing, and some of you are like, you're going to have to wrestle with this because you grew up in the thought process of, okay, belt in my truth. All right, I'm putting on the righteousness, which it, it helps the enemy then claim that any sin that you do do and you didn't wear the righteousness, it's because you are filthy rags still. What a powerful lie that the enemy can play if you think you have to put on righteousness. But it's already put on, so you stand in it. You stand in it. Oh, I'm going to continue. You've already been made ready for peace. We've already been brought into peace. James writes, I now accept with meekness the implanted word, implying that the word is already here. And so the power is not in what we must do, but what we must stand in because it's already been done. Greg, you're surrounded by truth. Stand in it. Greg, you've been given righteousness. Stand in it. Greg, you've been made ready with some feet of peace from the gospel. You stand it. You walk with it. You go in it. It's, if you notice, Paul's statement has the action, but it's stand. And so then these schemes, lies, shame, bitterness, what is interesting about the schemes of the devil, and I need you to hear this, what's interesting about the schemes of the devil is they do attack you, all right? They do. They come at you. But really what they're attacking is the thing that was bestowed upon you by another. And so if I can framework it in this, they may, the lies of the enemy may be trying to attack you. The accusations may be thwarted and hit at you, but it's not your truth that they're really trying to attack. It's his. And I don't know about you, but he can hold it. I don't know about you. You can attack the righteousness, but the righteousness isn't mine, Satan. It's his. And so like, you're going to have some hard time doing that. The reason why this, this armor is so powerful to believe is because you start realizing I literally can thwart the accusations of the enemy because they don't even come at me at all. They come out the righteousness of Jesus and he handles everything. They come out the, the inability that he has, which is nothing, right? They come out the, the lack of that Jesus bestowed, and that's just, take it, Jesus, take it. It's not even talking to me. It's not even about me. And so as we get into this, Satan is really attacking Jesus, and I have learned, like, I'm not even the one being hit. And so some of you are like, how can you deal with the demonic? Aren't you afraid? And I'm like, Honest, I'm weird. I I'm really am a little weird when it comes to this. And it's okay that you're not. I think I was gifted in this. I just don't care. And I'm like talking to the person and they're, they're, they're trying to scare me. 
And I just genuinely, I see Jesus in it. And I'm like, you, you can try to touch me. In fact, we had a woman, and this is a fun story, Randy, I wish she was here. There was a woman who manifested downstairs and she started trying to hit me. And Randy watched and Randy was just like, Lord, I'm just going to pray right now. And then she's praying. And this woman is trying to punch me. And I just was like, and she's just literally as strong as she can, circling me around. And we have crazy stories here. But she's literally trying to punch me. And I'm just like, I'm like, what is she doing? She's circling around me. And Christy just grabbed Manny and ran in there. Like, <laughs> and, and Randy was just like, Lord, I'm just praying. And then I was like, I tried to reach out to her like, you can stop now. And the woman just fell over. And I'm like, she needs water. Uh, like, I don't know what to do at this point. What is going on? She needs, but the fact is, you're not hitting me. You're hitting him. And you can't. Like, no hit will happen. And so the issue, though, is we doubt the belt of truth. So let's dive into it. The belt of truth is in direct opposition to the lies of the enemy. But the belt of truth, if you want to take notes, it is all about being bound by truth. Some of you don't like being bound by anything. And you realize that in your pursuit of not being controlled by anything, you are actually being controlled by everything, right? You, some of you don't like being bound by truth, but I, I, it's beautiful. The belt of truth literally holds me together. The, the truth... I have a powerful theological idea right here. Jesus, he is in all and through all. All things have been made complete in him. All things are held together by him. That means the more I believe what Paul is saying to the Colossians, the more I actually believe that nothing can rip me apart because I'm held by Jesus. I'm bound by him. I am, I am taken care of. I'm comforted. And so come at me. Please try. Right? Like, but really, if we believe the truth, that I'm bound by it. Be girded by truth. That means take my clothing, my protection, my identifying attributes, all my weapons, my sword, my shield. It's all held and taken accountable within truth. Think about it like my sword. Some of you have a strong sword, but you dare not put it in truth because it won't fit. You hear me? Some of you have a sharp tongue, but you dare not put it with you. You like to keep it on you. You better not put it with you because it doesn't fit the truth that you're held with by. Some of you, for real, you, your shield, but you dare not hold it. You're always on defense. You're always on defense. You're constantly defending, but you dare not put it held by truth. That's why you're constantly feeling like you have to watch your back. But you dare not put it on truth because it wouldn't fit there. Everything that goes in the belt of truth is held accountable to truth. It is in line with truth. Some of you, the reason you feel distant from the church is not because the church is, has hurt you or X, Y, Z. It's because what you hold dear and what the church, the bride of Christ holds dear, they don't fit together. And so you won't come close to it. You won't be bound with it. But it's beautiful. Satan's weapon, though, his primary one is deceit. But Jesus' truth like a belt, it holds me together. The enemy, if the enemy, though, can get me to believe anything but his truth, he can start making me feel unraveled. Has anyone ever felt unraveled? Like unraveled, because the more I feel unraveled, then parts of my heart end up being bound by that which is unraveling me. And I feel bound by lies. Like, does this mean that I'm not bound in truth anymore? No. But it does mean that I am feeling bound by something else. Like, it's really interesting. Uh, Deception will cause us to disregard truth. In extreme cases, like I've seen people tune out truth. I've, I've heard people be angry at truth. I've seen, seen it 
seen it manifest in anxiety. I've seen it be people be rageful. I've had conversations with people who claim to have Jesus in their heart yet cannot have peace with me or anyone else. It's because they are not bound by truth. You cannot have your own little segment and call it a church, but be divorced from his bride. It's very apparent. The deceptions, in many cases, truth and people's own truth will lead them in very weird ways. I've seen people's eyes glaze over when a truth that they need to hear, like I'll say like, daughter, you're, you're beloved. And I've watched as people's eyes just are like, that means nothing to me. I know, but, and I'm like, no, you don't know. I need you, you're bound by something else. What is interesting though is just how good the enemy is at it. Sometimes he exchanges the truth of the Lord. Glory, I need you to hear this. He exchanges the truth of the Lord for a truth of nature or a truth of the physical or a truth of our world or even a truth that you, that you apply to. Now I explain it this way. I'm just an introvert. And so the truth of my life is then like, I don't have to share my faith with other people, right? Like I'm bound now and it's like, it's really subtle, but it happens a lot. And then we're oppressed and we're wondering why isn't God using me? And he, and God's like, I've given you a place to be used, but your truth is limiting the truth that has actually freed you. But it keeps going. Like the, if you remember that word truth is the word aletheia, you remember uh, it means a reality, reality as it is, as God sees it. Truth is a reality not limited by human facts or history. Like I need you to hear this because sometimes some of you, our oppression is this. You are bound by Google's truths. You, you literally can only see, and those of you who are analytical, that can become oppressive when you start limiting the Lord whose truth extends beyond historical fact. It extends beyond the limits of nature, but nature, the truth of nature, can literally limit us and begin to oppress us because we start doubting what God can do or can't do. We start thinking that, that he is or isn't even worldly wisdom. Let me tell you, it was stupid to quit my job and move my family here. It made no sense to my family. It didn't. I remember when I wanted to go to the most expensive college in Arkansas, right after my mom passed away and we had a lot of debt, and my, mom, my dad said, no, don't go. You, this is not, you cannot, you're not hearing God. And I just remember like, no, I must go. It's, it's not like, I'm not bound by worldly wisdom. I am bound by a truth that, that precedes it. it. It goes beyond it. But some of us, you really, you got to realize that the wisdom of the world that says, don't start trying to have kids until you have X amount of finances. It actually just limits the blessing of the Lord in you. It really does. And I just, like, I just want to speak that. The world says also like, don't start giving until your finances are good. The Lord says, no, give out of the abundance of your heart, not your pocketbook, your heart. The world says, if you're stressed, the best day of the week to sleep in is Sunday. The, world, the truth of the world, like it, it's, it's really good. It fits our bodies really well. Like it does, but the wisdom of God is foolish to the world and the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. And so I will be bound by truth. Some of you, I wrote this down, have subtly exchanged the reality of Jesus, something that is not limited by historical fact, and you've begun to operate with a truth that is based on your limitations your limited perspective, your limited belief, your fears, your strengths. You've operated with a truth that is factual for far too long. 
that has a good system attached to it. It has a good system. It's working for you for a long time. It's proven. You are bound by those parenting books that have been proven to work, yet you do not feel free. No, it's like I've gifted you and your son, your daughter, in this stage, and it does not have to be defined by the world's standards. Lead them in my truth. Instruct them in my ways. And so all of it, we, we become oppressed and we don't even realize it. And ultimately, like you can spot, like I, I will in, in this section, we can go to the next one. You can spot if I have been believing lies by a few things. If you're continually tired. If you're continually anxious. If you're feeling a war within when you go amongst God's people. If you feel isolated. If you feel like you're grasping at straws with life. You're being hooked by lies if you are angry and don't know why. If you're stretched. If you feel burdened. If you wake up and keep feeling achy. There may be a leading lie that is moving you to do anything but stand firm. To be present. All right, the next one. Breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate of righteousness. I love this one. Uh, It is a gift bestowed upon me by my king. And Paul knows what he's doing. Like soldiers, all right? Roman soldiers. You knew what, who they were and whose they were by their breastplate. What it was colored, the structure of it. In fact, every time a king came, they would change the breastplate just a little bit to showcase the new king. Like it really, these my soldiers. It was an identifying fact. It was something that showcased who I am and identified me as a king's army man. I was a king's soldier. And now, who can bring a charge against God's elect, Paul says. So quite literally, if you were to stand firm in what has been given to you by the king, the enemy would say, hey, you don't fit in here. And you could say, who can bring a charge against God's elect? So when you walk in and that, the, the lies come up or the doubt or the, the memory from then or the reoccurring, some of you, you're, I remember moving beyond, I told you my testimony a few weeks ago, the hardest part of leaving behind a past full of lies and sexual sins is the memories and nightmares that follow. All right? I'm just being honest with you. So now the breastplate of righteousness must flow into my subconscious and stand and say, who can bring a charge against God's elect? Who? God is the one who justifies. But it's interesting, the breastplate of righteousness is a direct threat to the shameful accusations of Satan. I told you shame is messy, it's awkward, no one wants to talk about it. And shame comes, and I'll just let you know, not because we've done something wrong, but shame is the feeling that you are the wrong. And I'm going to say this another way, like shame, you feel guilty for things you do, we start feeling shameful for who we are who we are. And the reason this is so hard is because then that's so complex and we don't know why we feel the way we feel around people. We, and we start blaming people for how we feel, but there's shame attached to it. There's shame. Do you remember uh, the Lion King? Anyone ever grow up Lion, Lion King? Yeah. The Lion King. It's a good one. It's a good one. It has good ties to the gospel. Don't take it too far because then it's gone and it's a different gospel. But it's got good ties. But one of the times, uh, Simba, Mufasa, his dad, Mufasa's like saving him from the stampede. You remember that, that sad part of the story? Mufasa's now hanging for his life and up comes Scar and Scar does this and Mufasa dies. Then we see Simba walking up and is crying over his dad. Scar comes up. And says the lie. You killed the king. You see the interesting thing about shame is it always starts with a lie. But then it starts setting in deep. 
he knows he didn't physically kill the king because shame doesn't make sense sometimes. I know I didn't physically kill him, but what I did led to that. And instantly you can't see anything else about your part in it. What I did led to that and I am wrong. I did the killing. And then it translates even more. I didn't just kill the king. I'm a murderer. And then Scar says, run away. Never return. You see this interesting thing about shame is you start running. And it's really hard. It's really hard. This is the, the worst part of my job is seeing the runners. The worst part of my job is seeing the runners. Because here is a son of the king who was born to lead in the kingdom, who is now running because of a lie. I look out every Sunday and see sons and daughters of the king who were born into, born again into the kingdom to lead with authority. Yet shame speaks another word and they run. You run. The first time fear comes, you run. The first time something connects to your past, you run. The first time, and and sometimes it's not a running. Sometimes it's a, I'm going to take this week off. Sometimes it's not running. Sometimes it is, I'm just, you know, I don't think, I think I'm too busy to be a part of like serving anymore. Uh, I, I just, I think, and we don't know, we can't connect the dots. We struggle with it. But the enemy connects the dots because he's the one that said, run, leave, never return. Satan attacks us so that we already overlook, so that we overlook what we're already covered by. I'm so sorry. Satan attacks us so that we begin to overlook what we're already covered by. Where Paul says, live up to what you've already achieved. You're already covered by the righteousness of Christ. Satan longs to get you to see anything but what the king has called you. You're my son, Simba. Satan wants us to see anything but what the king has already called us. We're righteous because he is righteous. But too often I see godly people covered by shame. I really do. Um, I, I don't ever do this, um, but I actually, shame is the one thing more than anything else that I've probably um, studied the most in my life. I've become, like I, I sought to become an expert on shame. And the reason is I battled it heavy in my life. Um, so it was my thesis in, in college. It was my thesis that I was able to graduate with my degree from, and then it became a book. Uh, and we actually have copies. Now I never do this, but if you would, they're like, I mean, I don't care. The staff would say, you need to pay for them. I would say, just talk to me and I'll give you one, but you should probably pay for them for the staff and they go to the church, but they're like $5, but it's a book on shame. And I only say it because I really do believe in the journey that the Lord brought me through to write that book. But sometimes like godly people covered by shame, like it's sometimes in your inability to move on from your past trauma. And no matter what, you're always back there. You're always back there. I had a a guy in this story, a Marine, and he fell into pornography check. He fell into pornography in the weirdest of ways. It was when he was deployed and he took his first prostitute. And even though he's back here, even though he was back here, he was always there. And he was stuck there because of the shame of it. He is stuck there from it. And shame can keep you stuck. Even though you're wanting to forget, you're stuck back there. And I've watched as, as uh, a man has cried in my, my life, like he's cried with me and we've cried together because he finally opened up about being abused as a child because he was tired of being stuck there. Shame keeps you stuck. It's sometimes in your constant pursuit of trying something more in the future and you always feel like there's something else you should have, you should have, and you're shameful of the now, so you always want to be there. There. Some of you, it's in your need to take a ton of responsibilities as if they give you prestige or they give you the title because you're worried about on your own, am I enough? 
Shame is in our need to constantly compare our life with other people. Sometimes even my, uh, constantly compare our life to what it was back when you were thin, you remember? Constantly compare your life to what it was back when you were confident or back to when you were fill in the blank or constantly compare your life to what you think it could be in the future. Shame, it's in our need to please man, to be approved by anyone and everyone, a female, a man, a husband, a wife. It's a constant strife. It keeps us distanced from the things of God. But I remember one night, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll say this quick. I remember one night when I was in a small group with guys, and there was a guy who I'd been leading. I'd known him for years, and he was excellent at everything he did. Like, he, he was the best like athlete, you know, the people who are just stupid good at things like Dalton, he can just do anything and he just does it. And you're like, stop being good uh, at this. He was one of those people. He's good at school. Amazing kid at school. But I was a youth pastor and I felt what is the distance between you and me? Like there's something you're always here and you're an amazing person to be around. I love it. But I feel like there's an arm in between us. And I didn't know. I just kept trying to push through it. Some of you, I'm a pusher. So I'm just trying to push through it. I'm like, I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to keep loving. And one day, he was in a small group. And out of nowhere, it like vomited out of him. This secret lie. This secret set of sins that no one knew about. And he's exposing it in front of the whole group of small group. And I just remember watching his body like, <laughs> and like confessing. I like, we were freaking out. Like what is happening? As he's divulging some of the most like craziest scenarios. And I had known him for years. And I watched as shame fell. And at every touch of a guy in that small group on him, Grace was experienced. In fact, he quoted something, because now he's a youth pastor. <laughs> he quoted something. He said, the only connection that I used to have to sin was punishment. But in reality, the only connection that I have to sin is Jesus. The only connection I have to sin is Jesus. And confession, for those who are in sin, in shame, and it may not even be attached to anything, but you feel it in depression. Confession, speaking it out, is what keeps our life in line with our soul. Now that we're already saved. Confession is what keeps my life in line with my soul. I'm, I am in heaven. Confession, another one, is what allows the grace that already covers us to be at the forefront of our mind, right? Confession is what makes way for deliverance. And then last but not least, and I'm sorry, is the feet of readiness. And I'm going to make this one quick. Those of you who want the notes on this, I can send it to you. I have realized that hesitation is quickly, quickly, <laughs> hesitation is quickly the ruin of our church. I've spoken up many times. Some of you are very hesitant to speak when you're in need. Some of you are very hesitant to move forward because you fear. Some of you are very hesitant to dive into a community. Some of you are very hesitant to admit that you do not know God. Some of you are very hesitant, and hesitancy is really interesting, but peace, what you've been saved into, makes you ready, makes you able, keeps you moving. But the opposite of this, this feat of readiness, the position is this rooted of bitterness. And I just want to leave you with this. Satan roots us in bitterness where the gospel rooted you in peace. Think of that connection. Satan roots you in bitterness. Paul says, don't let a root of bitterness be in you. Like, I can't do anything as a pastor with your bitter heart. I can't. In fact, 
it will always come and attack me. And I just got to realize it attacks Jesus. Like it's attacking your soul. And, and, and so bitterness though is the hardest thing because we don't want to deal with it. Bitterness toward what they did. Bitterness toward what God didn't do. And it will always come out to the people of God. Why? Because the people of God love you more than anyone else. We see son abandoning father. We see father abandoning son. Jesus says this, and they will find a family with the kingdom of God. So closer than parents is what the kingdom of God now is. It evokes some of your bitterness, and you're not ready to deal with it, so you keep walling up. But these four things, they're going to be boom, boom, boom. You can go ahead and put them all up for them. Thank you. You did it. I was going to take it. Stages of bitterness are huge. You start feeling confused by something. Then you start picking out offenses of people as if they're getting in your way. Or it's that, that issue. Then you start creating divisions in your mind sometimes. Starts with that. Then it's on your lips. We got bitterness in this church. It's on your lips Even as you say, I think this, or what if we did this, what you're really trying to do is cut a line right now and prove that you're over here and and the other person's over here. And we're trying to create division where I'm on the right side and you're on the wrong side. But if we backtrack, it started with confusion. I'm just feeling confused. And I don't know, I'm like really cloudy and I'm in a cloudy place and, and I just don't understand. And then an obstacle offense. And it's always something, they may have done it, but the gospel of peace is limited because they did it, but it's connecting to your own pain, what they did. And now instantly you're stuck at that obstacle. And then division and soon enough opposition. The enemy doesn't have to do anything but to feed your bitterness. And already you're opposing more than him. You're opposing the church more than him. You're opposing the church because we don't support your lifestyle. You're opposing the church because we don't want to enable your sin. You're opposing the church because you don't want to keep growing. And what you don't realize is bitterness. It weighs on you. It keeps you up. It festers in you. It hurts you. It attacks you. It makes you feel alone. But peace comes through forgiveness. And so we're going to, band, you guys could come on up. We're not going to play a full song in this. I'm so sorry that was so long. This is what happened. This is why we split it into half, like, right? Whew. I got two calls for some of you. Some of you are believers and you will not stand because you are beginning to realize the reason is because you've been bound by some lies. You don't know what they are, but you feel it. Others of you, you know very clearly the reason you don't stand is because you still think you are covered by the very thing that Jesus's blood has already covered. And you've dealt with it over and over and you're like, why am I still dealing with the same thing? It's because shame has been deep in your heart. There's others of you, bitterness is the reason you don't stand. And so I'm gonna invite the believers in the room through this time, stand. This is so interesting that that keeps happening, Miss Betty. I want you to pray specifically that our sound system is just going right. Like, I'm not even joking. I was, every time I've been praying back there, that noise starts happening and it's been bothering me. So you got this, you can choose, you got this. But some of you, I need you to stand today because he's worthy of it. Stand because he's already given it to you. And then some practical things. We need to make the freedom from oppression a little bit more normal. 
We got some connect cards and I would love for you to write, I would like freedom from lies. I would like freedom from shame. I would like freedom from bitterness. Maybe writing it is not your thing. Uh, text this number, eight once. Can you put one of the slides that have it? Uh, maybe it's a serve day slide, impact day. Text 816-379-3379. I want freedom from lies. I want freedom from bitterness. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.